All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show, as a reminder, is all about anyone in this world that's trying to make groups healthy, more than one person healthy in this world. Uh, I'm super excited on this show. We have uh, Chaitanya Dahagam from IBM Watson on the show. Um, I've been a big fan of his work and what he's been doing over there and his background. Um, but most importantly, uh, Chaitanya, maybe if you want to just give a brief intro of yourself to to everyone. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Anthony. So my name is Chaitanya Dahagam, and uh, like like Anthony stated, I uh, work with IBM Watson Health. I lead the Watson Health ecosystem. Um, prior to that, I uh, was a health technology consultant for the advisory board company in the Washington, D.C. area. Before that, I was a general surgeon in San Antonio, Texas. Before that, um, uh, medical school at the University of Alabama School of Medicine. And then before that, I have a computer science degree. So I like to think that in my day job and in my spare time, which I try to find more and more of, but it gets, hard, gets harder and harder, um, I bring a clinical, technical, and kind of business slash commercial perspective to any conversation about using technology to improve healthcare. Uh, another way I describe it is I describe tech to clinical folks and I, and I describe clinical concepts to technical folks to help us figure out how we can kind of solve all our world's healthcare problems together. Great, great. Well, th thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your background. I, I love the unique blend of the, the medical side, uh, the MD side, and the, the computer science, which is really exciting. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your origin story. Um, how did you get started in the area? You know, what drew you from the computer science side to the medical world or, and or vice versa? Maybe you can tell us uh, about your passions in the area and, and how you progressed over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as a surgeon, I enjoy talking about myself. I don't know if that's a common thing, for surgeons, <laughs> but I kind of heard it is. But yeah, so my story is uh, I've always kind of had engineering in my blood. Uh, my dad's an, an electrical engineer and a computer engineer. He worked for a, a major car company down in Alabama. And, you know, I've always kind of been tinkering with computers since I was, you know, seven years old. Um, and I've loved it. Um, <clears throat> but I also tell everyone that I fell into the trap of being the firstborn child of an immigrant family, which means that especially for a dad who's an engineer and was surrounded by you know, friends and family who were doctors, he wanted me to go to med school. So luckily that was the passion that I also had. So I wanted to go, to, I went to medical school um, and I had red flags all throughout that it wasn't necessarily for me. Um, I wanted to do primary care. It just wasn't a right fit. Um, so ultimately I ended up finding a, you know, a balance I thought um, with surgery. I was able to use my hands, kind of like the engineering of medicine, if you will. So I did general surgery. Um, but then when I was in residency in Texas, I was a general surgeon who had a tech background. And as a surgeon with a tech background, I wanted to fix patients and the system. It's just very, very hard, as you and your audience are probably very well aware, to do that from the inside. You just meet resistance um, and slow-moving um, kind of folks everywhere. So I, I kind of said, let me see what else can I do to fix the system and the patients use, utilizing technology. So took a shot in the dark in 2011 and was able to really have a great opportunity with the advisory board company with some of their technology solutions um, for clinicians and providers and health systems. Um, so I left clinical medicine in 2011, one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, um, and joined the advisory board and, and got an, uh, on to the journey that I'm, that I'm on now. But that, that's really what it is, a passion <clears throat> to use technology to fix healthcare is kind of what landed me where I am now. 
Great, great. Now, now for our listeners, can you uh, describe a little bit the advisory board? What what does the company do, and what was maybe you can detail, uh, you know, a sample project or or you know thesis that you worked on while you were over there, or some themes of of work that you did when you were over at the advisory board. Yeah, absolutely. So the advisory board company is a company started, I believe, in 1979, maybe in the, some sometime in the 70s. And it was one that really said, we're going to do research on anything and everything, and we're going to sell our research as best practices to anyone and everyone. Um, and that included corporate America, that included healthcare, that included um, um, higher education, and so forth. So what they ultimately ended up doing is splitting up to where higher education and healthcare kind of stayed with the advisory board company, and um, the corporate stuff was split off into a sister company called Corporate Executive Board. But um, advisory board, what they do now, and what I did for them was really help them utilize some of that healthcare research and best practices, and even some technology solutions that they built um, to help their healthcare clients and leadership physicians primarily, um, executives, so forth, figure out how can they use healthcare data, health analytics data to really improve um, the performance of their physicians, track their physicians. And so that was really the bottom line. They had a product called Crimson that I actually did a lot of work with and really helping uh, kind of big bring big data um, to healthcare provider, providers. <clears throat> Interesting, interesting. Um, now, would you say that, you know, since you left the medical world in 2011, you went to the advisory board, now you're with IBM Watson Health, um, do you feel uh, more fulfilled uh, with that transition and move? It sounds like you're, you're in the position, you know, now and, and before that maybe you're, you're, have, you're impacting more lives from a health perspective than probably, you know, as, as you would have been if you continued to the surgeon route. Is, am I, am I, um, overreaching by saying that, um, Chaitanya? No, not at all. You're not overreaching at all. And I think that's a good point in conversation to have, um, especially for the audience and, and folks who might be interested in in these kind of non-cookie cutter pathways, if you will. Um, the, 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 the realization I've come to um, when I look at my, my time with as a surgeon, my time with the advisory board, and now my time with IBM Watson Health is there is no perfect um, way or, or um, a straight, clear way to fix the system or to fix what ails us, uh, literally and figuratively. And what I mean by that is, it when I was a surgeon, yes, it was awesome to take care of patients. I absolutely loved it, talking to their families, explaining their conditions, and so forth. But there's a lot of you know what I call BS in healthcare, where we just you know there's not enough bodies, and so doctors not only have to do all the clinical stuff that they need to do that they want to do, but there's also this administrative secretary stuff that they have to do is just unfortunately because of the resource constraints, it's difficult to get around it. And, um, um, and that's things like notes and documentation and that kind of stuff. So that, that wasn't, that was an imperfect part of it. And you get burnt out and you see a new article, I think every day. So there's nothing, there wasn't, there were moments there were that were perfect and there were plenty of moments that are also not, um, as a consultant, when I was at the advisory board company, that was great to be able to engage using data with healthcare providers, but it wasn't perfect, um, because I was not able to actually roll up my sleeves and get to work and help them implement the workflow changes, the, the technology changes, all the things that they needed to do to actually make improvements based on the data that I was sharing with them. So that was imperfect. Um, and then I actually, with IBM Watson Health, it, it's closer to perfect to kind of get back to your question. It's much closer. So maybe that is the, the, the metric to measure um, satisfaction and, and, and kind of fulfillment. Um, but the reason I think it is 
right now is I'm in now in a position and blessed to be in a position where I am able to impact, hopefully, the technologies that do help the providers um, focus more on patients and less on the impersonal stuff. So use Watson, let Watson do all the impersonal things like data abstraction, data integration, and all that stuff. And so humans and people and doctors can go back to being doctors, nurses can go back to being nurses, etc. Um, and mm-hmm. The consulting piece, you know, I don't necessarily have to do that. I kind of do that still, actually, when I'm, you know, trying to explain things to folks and how everything works. So I, I would say, you know, in a long-winded way, the answer to your question is yes. I would say that with IBM mm-hmm. Watson Health, I'm in a place where I am able to really um, still have that influence um, with these organizations or that that connection and engagement with these organizations with a really strong and validated technology like IBM Watson, um, but still have the ability to kind of brainstorm and quote unquote consult with these folks to help them understand how it'll help them. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. Absolutely. That, that does. I mean, we hear it so much, you know, a lot of people that are getting into, you know, modern health IT, as I, I like to call it, um, and come from medical backgrounds are starting just to, to feel a lot more fulfillment. Obviously, there's there's a place in time for surgeons. There's nothing like great doctors, and um, those have to be very specific callings. But for the individuals like yourself that have, you know, an engineering mindset and a scalability mindset, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's very fulfilling for you to find your path and, and be focused in an area where you can take, you know, the best of the medical world and look at these, you know, creative and innovative ways using technologies like, like Watson, um, you know, to, to scale and, and, you know, provide more personal outreach, which kind of leads me to my next question. I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are familiar with Watson. Um, we're starting to hear a lot more about, you know, AI and machine learning and deep learning and things like that. Maybe you can give our listeners a little bit background on what is, what is Watson and, you know, what are, what is the value that, a type of technology like this do you see um, bringing to the world of health, you know, and how, how do these, how does the technology solve real problems in, in health? Uh, so maybe you can touch upon those two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's a great place to start with regards to Watson. Like first explain what is Watson and what is it not? We have our, we see all these commercials and we think it's this black box and you can just talk to it and ask it a bunch of stuff and <clears throat> it'll give you answers. And I think ultimately that is the future we want to get to. But right now, um, what Watson is and what Watson was in 2011 when it won Jeopardy was an integrated set of APIs, applications, and services that are focused on specific use cases. So for example, in 2011, those APIs were like Q&A, so question and answer, some natural language processing, some text-to-speech, speech-to-text um, capabilities, all integrated to for the use case of general trivia on Jeopardy. Now that has been expanded to, you know, not we don't call it Q&A anymore. For example, we call it dialogue or conversation APIs and services. Um, we have uh, services and applications called Medical Insights. So these are all, for example, um, services and APIs and applications that are focused on a healthcare use case. We have finance use cases, retail use cases, um, where we have a, a library of at least 50 or and growing APIs, applications, and services that are being integrated and stitched together in different ways to really help uh, organizations um, and entities ingest and process a variety of structured and unstructured data and derive insights from those data sets. Um, so that's that's kind of what Watson is, and the way when we think about how when I think about how Watson um, 
has the tremendous potential to make healthcare in our country better is because of really two reasons. Number one is we hear this all the time about interoperability of all the different data systems that healthcare um, organizations have implemented to and that that to help them. But at the end of the day, they're collecting tons of data. Well, we like I talked about resources just as a doctor. Resources as health systems and folks in general don't have all the time and the bandwidth um, to go through all that data and figure out what is important. So we as humans use our biases to kind of figure out what's what's there. And if there's anything beyond that, we may or may not have time and energy to get to it or money to get to it. So what Watson enables us to do is integrate tons of disparate data on a scale that we as humans can't necessarily do. Um, and so it, and again, step one, I guess, for to, the value is bringing all the data into one place and normalizing it um, without waiting on humans to, to, to necessarily put everything together. And then the second piece is, number one is again, step one, putting it all together. Step two, is going through all of that data. So let's say we as humans do accomplish the the crazy task, the huge task of getting all that data together. Next step is that's when the real work begins. You've got to go through it and find out what's important, and you've got to do it in an unbiased way. We know diabetes is related to a variety of things, but what is it related to that we don't know because it's not taught in medical school or our biases prevent us from actually getting to that you know 10th or 8th you know 15th degree of relationship if you will for that entity or that concept so machines can do that and not only then do give us a side by side output if you will of relationships that are strong based upon biases we told Watson to look uh, to look for or to look for using our biases rather Watson can also pull out relationships that are strong have strong relationships that we just didn't even think to look for because we just weren't trained that way or it's not something that has yet come to our attention. Um, I, I liken it a lot of times to one of the doctors, and I forget his name back in history, who gave himself H. pylori to demonstrate that uh, peptic ulcer disease was caused by a, a bacterium and you can treat it with an antibiotic rather than necessarily taking everyone's stomach out or, or, or small bowel out. Um, so it's, it's kind of, I think that's the, the, the true potential that Watson brings to the table for healthcare and all, all other industries is bringing together um, in, a, in a quick, efficient way of a large volume of disparate data sets. And then number two, going through it and unearthing in an unbiased way relationships that are likely strong that we just don't have the time, energy, or even unbiased mentality to, to discover. Great. No, that's a, that's a perfect example. You know, kind of a, another parallel example is, is kind of like, you know, you're, you know, Watson's, you know, feels like this virtual robot that can kind of be manifested anywhere. Right. Uh, that there's a computer and, you know, it's, it's, it's as good as the data that you're training it. You, you've given it kind of like this, uh, uh, almost like a mental model for learning things and for compartmentalizing things and processing things. And the more data that you feed it, the better. And it'll be able to, you know, see around so many corners with probably diagnoses, um, different trends. And um, so it feels like a really interesting point in time in history where, you know, IBM is really like leading the science in this, in this area of AI and cognition. And, you know, with it comes obviously sometimes a lot of fear but also a lot of opportunity as well if you can control it well. You know, you've got, I know, people like Sam Altman and Elon Musk and that right. are doing things like the open AI movement to, to kind of be at like this uh, AI, AI police sort of, <laughs> of sorts right. and um, lots of interesting segments. And it almost seems like if you're an, an, uh, an enterprise company or even consumer company, 
that you need to be factoring in cognition into your software at some point. Um, you know, it's almost like the progression of you, you're we're go, going from databases to to big data now to smart data, you know, or or cognition, which is which is really is, interesting. Which kind of leads me to my next question. I, I guess, um, you know, say you have Watson that's accumulating all this data right now, maybe not just Watson specific, but what are some, some projections or some, some predictions, I should say, from your perspective on some really interesting use cases that you're, you're, you're going to start, we as a society should start seeing manifested in pop health. What are some theses from your perspective on how, you know, true cognitive computing is going to change our health and, and group health groups of health or or maybe how you're seeing these things take place and take shape now yeah i think um one quick point then i'll address that yeah the, the the we always hear the phrase garbage in garbage out and i think that's valid absolutely but when i what i believe that watson's true value has the potential to be um if and when we get there because somebody will get there um is to tell us which data is garbage and which data is um useful i think that's the you know we we talk about putting a bunch of data in and getting insights, but then we say, well, the insights can be garbage if we put garbage in, garbage out. Well, that's why when we train the machine, train Watson, to identify what is garbage and what is real, um, that is going to, in my opinion, be the real inflection point of where, um, and we don't call it AI really, we call it an enhanced or augmented intelligence, because the first layer is not artificial, it's us as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, it's, it's, it's kind of a little, little nuance, but that's where I believe that, that Watson will be able to say that, you know, Watson quote unquote has arrived for healthcare because it's able to tell us, well, this is garbage and this is not. Uh, and that's a good segue to your question of where I think it'll, where, where, you know, what are some of the things we see for pop health and so more, so, so forth, because the, what is garbage data is going to change or be d- different from person to person, from individual to individual, and from population to population, and so forth. And so what we are really, really working on, and the, the kind of use cases that we're really focused on, um, and I selfishly am very passionate about, mm-hmm. is um, personalized, contextually relevant. Um, when you're thinking about on the consumer or patient side, is personalized, contextually relevant um, health and wellness guidance, for the providers or caregivers is personalized and contextually relevant clinical decision support for the patients and individuals that are directly in front of them. And for other organizations, it's personalized, contextually relevant X, Y, and Z, whatever um, the, their, their mandates are, if you will. So the, the future, when we think about pop health, and let's think that, consu- that personalized, contextually relevant per, uh, patient or consumer perspective this is a future that I'm trying to, that when I work with companies and we design, define use cases, this is the future we're trying to get to where let's envision, and I, I think I may have already shared this story with you once, Anthony, so I'm sorry if you have to hear it again, but no worries, it's essentially that, uh, you know, let's envision that you're a diabetic or a pre-diabetic and there's this huge cloud of data that has your clinical data, that has weather data, that has all this other data that's personalized and pertinent to you, but also pertinent to your environment and where you are. And the future that we, I kind of envision, that we try to envision, is you're about to step into a particular eatery. And your mobile device, or maybe it's a chip embedded in your skin, who knows what the vehicle is, but let's just say mobile device because that's what's tangible right now, 
mobile device tells you that, listen, there's nothing you can order in here that's not going to negatively impact your daily glucose, your hemoglobin A1C, your weight, etc. Um, however, if you walk two blocks down, you'll exercise this much, which will help you burn this many calories, and you'll arrive at a restaurant that you can get anything there. Um, and by the way, when you were there a couple months ago, you gave it a five-star review on Yelp, um, and so uh, we know you're going to like it. Why don't you go get that? By the way, it's about to rain, so you should probably take this route. Um, you'll burn more calories and you'll avoid getting wet. Um, so that's kind of the future that we get, we're trying to get to. Everyone's trying to gamify healthcare. Everyone's trying to incentivize all these different things. At the end of the day, if you're at a moment where that decision is being made, that may be the holy grail that people refer to with regards to behavior change. Um, that's the moment where you have been able to take all this data that is relevant to this individual in front of you, you are able to personalize it based upon what it contains, and then you're make, able to make it contextually relevant at the point that a decision is made. Now, at that point, it's up to the individual to decide, no, nah, I'm just going to override, I'm going to go in and get whatever I want to get, or uh, have you convinced them? And if you don't, the machine learns. Why did they not decide to go? Why did they still go into this eatery despite this information I gave them? Well, it's their birthday and they want to cheat and they want to do something themselves. Or they've recently just lost three pounds, so now they just want to kind of reward themselves. Or they had a great workout the last three days. Whatever it is, all that data is getting fed in. So Watson, at that moment, can not only help you, but and also understand why a particular behavior was chosen or not. So that's kind of the future we're trying to get to. And if you expand that beyond that individual, that, in my opinion, is not necessarily population health, it's population wellness. I love it. I love it. Now, um, maybe you can detail out a little bit. So it feels like, you know, personalization, which would result in kind of a next generation medium of narratives that guide our lives to, to live optimally is where you see, um, you know, things going. Um, let me ask you, obviously there's human psychology gets in the way and, and mm -hmm. right. And, and I heard a really good quote, uh, a few weeks ago saying, uh, you know, if, if more information was what we needed, you know, we'd all be billionaires with six, six pack abs. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, now what are your, what are your thoughts on, how do you provide this experience? Who should be the steward of this experience? Should, should it be the hospital, the insurance company? Should this be embedded as being a citizen within a community? So I know we're getting into uh, another dimension of pop health, sort of like, you know, who should be owning this experience? And ideally, obviously, it should be all of us individually, right? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we, there's things like Apple Health and Google Fit and Fitbits mm -hmm. that have incredible ecosystems, um, that capture all this information, but it feels like what you're saying, this personalization medium, which is kind of on the tip of all of our tongues, is it, it should be this layer. Who do you, who should be the steward of that so that it can be optimally, you know, and psychologically well received and, and adhered to consistently? That's a tough one, man. And depending <laughs> on the, 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 to kind of hedge all my bets, my answer to that one is all of the above. Um, right. And the reason is, <clears throat> for some people, they're able to make the, the, the decision on their own. For example, I lost 66 pounds over two years. I've kept it off now, almost three years and kept it off. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't use my first wearable until I'd lost 50 pounds. Because mm -hmm. my belief, my hypothesis is that wearables don't change behavior, they reinforce behavior. Mm -hmm. um, so if you've already found, for example, I found a routine that helped me lose 50 pounds. So then what I did was I 
used my wearable um, to to help me figure out what how close am I getting to that same routine. Um, so am I walking enough? Am I enough active enough to where I to the activity I know led me to that 50 pound weight loss? So for some of those types of people, all you might need they might need an augmented reality or virtual reality experience to help them play it out in their head. They might just need a Fitbit or a wearable to help them stick to whatever they're going to do anyway. Um, there's those people that'll that'll adopt and change and. Uh, and, and be able to maintain it on their own. So they need to be able to have access to all that that data, all those vehicles to help them get to where they want to get. Other people might need motivation from a family member, from an insurance company, from a doctor or a nurse, from an employer, who knows, from a retail store, who knows what their motivating factor is. Um, um, in order to figure that out, we can certainly use Watson and machine learning to help us figure out what are the different motivations and where is that breakdown between people who adopt and don't adopt um, and what is the experience that motivates them? Maybe it's because the 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 the, per, the individual doesn't listen to, doesn't have the self control or uh, uh, the psychology on his or her own, doesn't listen to his or her doctor because they're the wrong gender, they're the wrong ethnicity, they're 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 obese themselves, and why would I listen to diet and exercise advice from a doctor who's you know a BMI of fifty anyway? You know that kind of stuff, and that's an exaggeration, but. We don't know what are the motivating factors, and one of the concepts of some, and you mentioned this in your intro, like you know, some of the fringe things that might be coming into play is, can patients and people have an AR VR experience uh, where they can play out where they where a particular you know healthcare change where they can you you put different avatars in front of them and then you can measure how they respond potentially and that way when they go see a doctor you recommend a doctor because uh, that that's the, that matches criteria that gave the best response for a potent, highest potential outcome based on an AR VR experience that they you know survey so it's not like a survey where they're filling a paper survey you put a headset on and you have them walk through different exercises and you the path that they choose, if it led to a positive outcome, you try to get them to match that experience in reality with in their daily life and their with their physician and so forth. So that's that's the challenge. That's why I say it's everyone because you never know which one is going to be the thing that tips them to that behavior change. Um, for me, what tipped me was that I was taking a couples trip with four other couples that were married in the same summer I was, and I was going to be the biggest one there, the the the, un, the least healthy of them all. So that was my mm -hmm. motivating factor. Um, is there a VRAR experience for that? Maybe I don't know. Um, but <clears throat> there, I think that's why we have to hedge our bets. We have to find a, uh, we have to give this data and information to everyone. Um, Obviously, there's going to be a lot of issues with that, huh? but you got to give it to everyone so that they can all, you know, for those where consumerization works, they'll do it. There's still a ton of people, for example, that aren't don't use Amazon Prime. Why? I don't know. But, you know, for those people, what is their inflection point? So you got to give it to everyone so that But I think that just casts a wide enough net to help us figure out what's going to motivate all these different people and help us overcome that psychology. Because it's one thing to say psychology is going to prevent us from getting there. It's another to say, let's look at the data to tell us how to attack that psychology or how to uh, address that psychology and then put things in place to address those psycholo psychological components. I love it. I love it. Yeah, while you're speaking about it, I had a visual of, uh, I remember, Minority Report. Yep, that's uh, right. Obviously, a lot, of, a lot of interesting, you know, concepts in that movie from precognition to, you right. know, predictions. And then, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is walking uh, in this building and he, you know, he's seeing all these people that are yep. getting these augmented reality or virtual reality, you know, experiences. And while you're speaking about, you know, one of that realization that to help you, you know, lose the weight was... Uh, you know, imagine there is some sort of augmented reality, virtual reality right. scenario that puts you in a psych psychological reference to help trigger 
that important point, um, which I think it would be an interesting, you know, just obviously product, or maybe it's just a whole other technological shift on its own is the convergence of, you know, cognition and AR VR to help people get to those realization points, um, you know, quicker from a psychological perspective. But uh, anyway, just thinking out loud, that's a, that's a powerful, I think, uh, you know, story there. Um, uh, Dr. Dahagam, um, as we end off here, well, first of all, so great to have you on the show. You know, one one thing, um, yeah, you've given us a lot to chew on and a lot to think about. And I think you've educated our listeners on, you know, the, the fringes of what's happening with predictions and cognition and AI and machine learning. But one question I love to ask is, you know, what is something that you believe that has not yet been proven, but, you know, you feel in your heart will be proven, let's say, you know, like in the next three to five years? Really good question. I think that to me comes back to Watson. Um, I think there's a lot of hype, a lot of potential um, for Watson, but it hasn't been validated yet. And by validation, validation, I mean, you know, we need to have some kind of Maybe it's a peer-reviewed journal or some some way um, to validate that all this machine learning, everything we're saying that Watson can do, it will do. But not only will it do it and 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 hit a technological milestone, it also has to hit clinical milestones. And what I mean by that, it we have to demonstrate that it it is actually improving clinical outcomes, that it is improving clinical the subjective clinical outcomes of quality of life measurements that folks is it's 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 uh, reducing costs, it's leading to more efficient care. Um, those are the things that I always come back to now, just common metrics that are that that we as physicians use. Are we making our patients better? Are they happy? And are we doing it at a at a cost where they can afford it and we're not bankrupting them and we're not bankrupting our system and our country and our world? Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's what I think that you know in the next three to five years, maybe maybe it's actually closer to ten years, but we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. but that's I think that's the biggest thing that that's that's still left because once you validate it, and hopefully we're the ones at Watson and IBM that validate it. Once that validation has been accomp- has been completed, um, then that's when the real fun and work begin. Right, right. No, this is this is great. I appreciate it. And I, it does feel like we're getting closer and closer. I mean, but just you know, personalization um, in health. Uh, I mean, it's something we've never really had before, or we've. We've had it, but in such low scale points, you know, from a doc, you know, your primary doctor standpoint, um, even then it's always been a byproduct of the level of empathy and level of relationship and consistency that you're seeing your doctor. Um, But, you know, with the personalization and smartphones and, you know, this narrative scenario that you laid out earlier in this uh, on, on the show here. Um, sounds like we're getting getting closer to it. Um, right. Dr. Dahagam, um, this was powerful. This was great. Love to have you back on the show. Uh, I know you're working on a variety of different projects and things like that. But, um, you know, we try and keep these episodes kind of short and punchy. Yeah. Um, but what's what's a good way for people to interact with you online or get a hold of you if, if you'd like people to get, uh, you know, in touch with you? Um, they can reach me uh, at via LinkedIn. That's there's never I, I'm I'm one of those folks that never really turn it down. They can do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I just I do some reviewing to see do we have any connections in common. If so, the likelihood of me accepting is higher. But um, that's one. They can also go to uh, uh, they can email me at ckdehagam at us.ibm.com, and I think you you might be able to provide that to your listeners. Sure. They, they can also visit any of my startup stuff. So one thing is if they're interested in that is they can go to yiffy.com. 
um, yiphi.com and my contact, I have some of my contact information there as well. Um, they can even download the app and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, all sorts of uh, different ways. Um, I suspect though, if it if it's you saying, hey, Chaitanya, I want to introduce you to so-and-so, I'd be like, yeah, sure, Anthony, there's no way I can say no to you. <laughs> Great, great. Well, this was super great to have you on your show on, on the show and have these three different perspectives. Uh, I know we didn't go too much on the entrepreneurial startup side of what you're. Don't worry, I, I got my doing, plug in. But yeah, no, but that's perfect. But, you know, uh, doctor, engineer, entrepreneur, you know, rolled into one. It's it's just it's it's. But most importantly, it's great to have your perspective, and I think it was. This was uh, a lot of value for our listeners. So, uh, well, thank you so much, and and thanks everyone to all our listeners out there, um, and uh, have a great one. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Happy holidays.